and welcome back to the FPL Lounge podcast. We are back with our Game Week 2 preview after a very, very eventful Game Week 1. My name is Chris Hopkins and I'm joined by the Chelsea midfield depth to my Liverpool's midfield depth. It's Andy Case. Andy, um, I mean, you know, we I don't want to sound like old timers. I don't want to sound like, um, you know, those those people that believe football was better back in the good old days and the money being bandied around football is too much now. But... Chelsea spent a lot of money on their central midfield, and uh, yeah, the the latest, I guess, in in Casido and Lavia, when you think that game time for Lavia would probably be more apparent at Liverpool, just uh, just speaks to their spending power, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it it, it does feel like like. Like we've been in a, in a world for 10, 15, 20 years now where where money's dominating football and. Um, <sighs> But this this does feel like another level of like sadness and sickness, really. Like one team essentially spending infinite money, like they found some F, some FFP loophole by spreading it over eight nine years, but still it's essentially infinite money. And I like Lavia's getting a lot of flack for moving there, particularly when it looks like he might not be the you know, he might be lower down the pecking order and, and, and will he, can you play a midfield of Enzo Caicedo Lavia? It seems unlikely, but, but like when the, the, the certainty that an eight or nine year contract like off offers you, it it's so hard for a lot of these players, isn't it? And, and like, again, without like, you can't, you can't necessarily like stereotype as such, but I know, so it's not the same for all, but I know definitely for Caicedo, uh, or at least what he's saying, this could be PR, is that a, 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 a factor drawing him to Chelsea, because obviously he's been off Liverpool for Chelsea as well as Lavia has, um, it was 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 that eight nine year contract, like the 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 money essentially that he can send back to his family and the difference it can make for his whole wider family, like the 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 guarantee that 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 gives you. So so obviously for Chelsea the benefit is FFP terms, it spreads out the the cost of the fee and then the upside for the player is yeah a huge contract over a long period of time you've got essentially a, a, a increased amount of guaranteed income um so i don't necessarily it's hard to like is it purely about greed it, it, it is that spin or is that genuine you know there's more of his family he can he can he can help out i don't i don't know but either way it, it does make a difficult situation or or a uh, unattractive situation for the fan, doesn't it? If one team just sucking up all of the best players. I mean, greed from Chelsea, I think I, I, I think we have to be a bit more forgiving of players that when you're given two offers, who wouldn't take the better one? I guess, ultimately. And I guess, I guess, I guess at that point, it, it's to what extent you class better as better financially or better in terms of your career and your game time and I guess that's maybe where the Lavia one is, is is a bit more of a question mark and and yeah obviously I know Carcido's drawn um some criticism too but 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 yeah I mean it, it felt to me like at least from the papers that Chelsea were always in for him all summer and then Liverpool tried to gazump them last minute whereas the opposite felt true of Lavia and then they both ended up at Chelsea and it just feels a bit it is greedy, basically, and Chelsea have, you know, fair enough if they're gaming the system or found a loophole through FFP, but it's, part of you just feels like, well, we don't really need him, but we don't want our rivals to have him, so let's just sign him anyway. And I think Chelsea have been, you know, they did it with Mudrick. 
last summer for when when he looked like he was going to Arsenal. And it feels like Chelsea are very good at that, and they're also good at spending a lot of money on on young players, not necessarily necessarily developing their own, but you know, thirty million on Chukwemeka and however much money they spent on Andre Santos and uh, I think another Brazilian player this this summer. And you know, they're, they're not they're buying young players not just for pittance when they're sixteen anymore. They're buying eighteen, nineteen year olds for tens of millions of pounds and storing them for future and I guess you know ultimately they will probably have plenty of rotation in future years they want to get back into Europe and they're going to need a, a, a big squad but their squad is pretty bloated as it is and and yeah and I think that the irony I mean maybe we'll get onto this but Enzo Fernandez looked like their best player on um on Sunday afternoon followed by Conor Gallagher and 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 you know I, I doubt Enzo's place is at risk but Gallagher's definitely is but equally as you say a midfield three of three CDMs doesn't feel like the best balance and maybe not the best squad building. And, and yeah, again, I think that the, the thing that always kind of questions all comes into question for me, you know, it, we understand now in this day and age that managers don't have total autonomy or even maybe much say in their transfers, but it doesn't feel like Poch has any or Chelsea managers have hardly any at all. Um, and when you're trying to build a squad and, and have a system, it, that doesn't always feel like a recipe for success for me. No, no, yeah, exactly. I mean, you sort of trust uh, Poch on that on that front, though. In the, in the, I mean, the, obviously, what's happening at Chelsea, you don't trust. Generally, it seems very scattergun, right? Particularly, yeah, all the defence and midfielders. Um, but you, you you sort of do. Like Pep, uh, Poch has always had like a specific style and a specific like plan he's wanted to play to, hasn't he? So, um, I mean, obviously he's not newer than the whole rest of that 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 team of of the, the, the dealing with the transfer. So how much like influence or whatever he has over the that side of things is hard to know. But yeah. Yeah, I think at that point you need he, to, you know, teams need to start getting, you know, if if they've got a recruitment plan and recruitment structures and things like that, they need to start getting in managers that fit that rather than, again, as Chelsea seems to do, just go for the biggest name every time, um, who is then more likely to want a bit more autonomy or more likely to blow things up a little bit. And and yeah, I mean, yeah, that just seems, seems sensible. Like, having a joined up strategy seems sensible. Um, and yeah, I'm not sure to what extent Chelsea have one, but equally, you know, if they've got if they've got the cash to throw around, then I guess they're just hoping that money trumps all, ultimately. Yeah, well, yeah, but but uh, we've seen many times that that's not how it works, is it? I mean, you can't. It's yeah, we'll we'll have to see what team Chelsea play, but Lavia, Casado, Enzo doesn't seem like that's going to be the free, does it? And if it is, is that going to be progressive enough on the, and creative enough on the ball? Yeah, time we will tell. see. We will see. Um, anyway, let's move on, Andy, and let's start previewing game week two. After, as I said at the top of the show, a very uh, eventful game week one. As always, we'll start by running down the game week's fixtures. We'll have a quick chat about this week's talking points, which I think is generally just going to be a bit of a review of game week one. Um, we've got some new and exciting players on the radar. We will be swimming against the tide, and then we'll finish, as we always do, with captaincy and who the heck is stat. Uh, so let's start then by running down those all-important FPL fixtures. Your deadline, again, another Friday night football is this Friday. Friday, the 18th of August uh, at 6.30 or 6.15 actually, 6.15 because our kickoff time uh, for Nottingham Sheffield United is quarter to eight. Then on Saturday, we've got three, three o'clocks. They are Fulham, Brentford, Liverpool, Bournemouth and Wolves, Brighton, followed by a tea time kickoff of Spurs hosting Man United. Uh, strangely, there's uh, 
a late evening kickoff on a, on a Saturday, and that is quite a big one at the start of the season. It's Man City versus Newcastle. Moving on to Sunday, we've got Aston Villa versus Everton and West Ham versus Chelsea, and another Monday night football this week, Crystal Palace versus Arsenal. Uh, so, Andy, I mean, I don't know about you, but I managed to watch quite a bit of football this weekend, and it was quite nice. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't seem like there's loads and loads of uh, talking points, so it might be worth just running through a few key takeaways, I think, that, that, that you might have taken away from what you've watched over the game week, over the first game week. It doesn't necessarily have to be about any particular players, or maybe even from an FPL point of view, but what did you notice uh, that you found interesting from, from game week one? I think there's loads from game week one, frankly. <laughs> um, like, I mean, you anything you see or take in has to you have to have like a bit of a pinch of salt. It's um, it's it's one game games worth of data, right? So uh, people you, people who had a good game could have a bad game next week. But um, I mean, where where to start? I liked I liked the look of uh, Villa up top even though they didn't, obviously they conceded a lot of goals in, in the game they played in. I have big concerns about Man United. Big, big concerns. Um, I think the reaction to a very poor performance was not the same as the reaction. Like this time last year, Ten Hag was getting the, the squad doing 13K in training that they didn't do uh, in the game. And the reaction this time has not been the same yet, despite the fact that the performance was was similar, frankly. So um, th- th- that that is very concerning. And with the fixtures coming up now, like the next three fixtures, they've got Tottenham away, Arsenal in, away, and then after the international break, Brighton. So... Um, I think, yeah, there could be there could, because of, because it's another year on of Ten Hag as well. The expectation levels are higher, but I think if United got top four in a trophy again this year, you'd you'd, ha- you'd have to take that. So yeah, people would be calling that not an improvement. So uh, yeah, I just worry that expectation versus reality is going to come back to bite hard soon for them. Um, what what else did I like? Wolves looked. I mean, we were we were both very uncertain and scathing of Wolves, frankly. But um, we I did sort of suggest. Is it actually better to have a Gary O'Neill um, on the last show? Uh, someone who can just try and make the best of what you've got rather than Lopetegui's got a particular style. I mean, if, you, if you're not going to back him, then, then you know, someone like an O'Neill might well be better. And they were very actually quite impressive in terms of at least chance creation. Hmm. Um, so it's just one to keep an eye out for, probably not like soon, but Wolves aren't necessarily completely dismissive, dismissed as, 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 as we thought they might be. Um, yeah, I guess you're probably going to be better to talk about Spurs, but they, they were someone we said we were going to be keeping an eye on, weren't they? Which was interesting. Arsenal weren't as good as, as people might have expected at home to like Nottingham Forest. In fact, they lost the XG battle in, in that game and created the third least XG of any team in the league in game week one, Arsenal. So I thought that was interesting as well. Uh, yeah, lots, lots to take away. Everton more creative than expected, and yeah, obviously they couldn't finish the chances. So yeah, loads, loads going on all over the league in game week one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I found I found the two games on Sunday that were televised: Brentford Spurs and Chelsea Liverpool. That both ended in draws. Just very, very entertaining. Um, and I feel like we could have. I mean, we we know what we're getting from from Liverpool. I think that. Um, in terms of entertainment value and uh, similar with Brentford, you kind of know what you're getting, but for deep Spurs and Chelsea with, with new managers, I was quite impressed with, with just the entertainment value. I think defensively both will have question marks, but then equally Brentford and Liverpool did have to completely agree with your Man United take. Um, I, I think if other than being a fan of like Luton, 
I, I can see why United fans would have the most things to be concerned about after game week one because you know I think Fulham got away with one against Everton, but Man United absolutely got away with one at home against Wolves, and 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 yeah, I'd be a bit concerned. I think about that, um, and then yeah, obviously Villa got Villa got got thrashed five uh, one away, but I've got very few concerns about them. I think they look pretty good, and 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 we're just ultimately just beaten by a better better team. Um, but I think I don't think that there's that much to be overly concerned about. Um, and then I think and that, it might seem a little bit silly, but I was impressed by the sort of how Burnley played and what their system wanted to do but I don't think they've got the personnel I was sort of very surprised by the sort of quality of players on show and starting like Lyle Foster in the Premier League just doesn't feel like it's you know I I doubt we're going to be getting loads of goals out of Burnley anyway but but it doesn't feel like player of his quality that hasn't done it in the Premier League and is 32 years old it doesn't feel like the way to go so I feel like reinforcements are going to be needed needed there but I but maybe the system will be enough for them just to keep their heads above water um, and I think they did try and do some good things against City when on the rare occasions where they did get the ball so yeah I think there's plenty of plenty to be I guess optimistic about among all teams but yeah I think there's a real concern for your, for your United, Andy, it was one of the one of the worst performances of the weekend, as far as I was concerned. Even worse, I think, than Villa getting paced four one five one. So, yeah, and obviously United come away with a victory, which uh, yeah feels a bit feels a bit silly, but but yeah, they they were just very very unimpressive, and and yeah, I can um I can see why. Uh, I mean, we weren't very hot on Anana or Luke Shaw as defensive assets anyway, but yeah, despite the fact that they ended up with FPL points, I mean, anyone that actually had eyes on the game would be very very scared about owning Man United defensive assets because the I, you know if it wasn't for some pretty wayward finishing from Wolves who I think had two of the five biggest XG wasters of the of, of, of opening weekend um United could have lost that 4-1 World Cup more comfortably and like look, this doesn't really necessarily help people's FPL teams much but it's just another classic Rant about Man United from me on the FPL lounge, but what's what what I find most frustrating as a fan is that you know that's the most shots we've conceded at home since 2005. So a historically bad performance, full like there just is there's the, like the the stats tell you that, so that's undeniable. But not as I said earlier, getting the same response as last season. Like one of the best things that could have happened last season was getting thrashed in both those opening games because as is evident here, when the result doesn't match the performance, the 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 reaction isn't the same. We're not, our fans aren't up in arms. Ten Hag's not coming out slating the players like he was last year. And yeah, I get you don't want to damage people's confidence. And I'd hope that there's some more reality check going on behind closed doors. But I don't know that as a fan. And, and I worry that there's that naivety is setting in and this kind of narrative around there's a lot of tweets both like Bruno and Mount and Rashford being like oh it wasn't our best game lads but job done and we move on to the next one like no that was seriously bad and it should be as much of a slap around the face as the four nils were last year but uh, yeah we have no evidence from the outside that that is the case at the moment and yeah Spurs away and Arsenal away in the next three could be could be concerning yeah i mean i think uh yeah i i think it, it, it's when things like oh sign of a good team you know playing badly and winning is is sort of bandied around and you know, often that can happen when 
you know, team. I think it happened a few times with Arsenal last year when they were still very much in the title race and they hadn't had one off day, but among four games and, and yeah, okay. And they've just about got a win. I think the Bournemouth game where they won in the last minute kind of comes to mind, but first game of the season at home against a team that's had an off season of chaos and you look that bad, I think is uh, alarm bells are ringing a little bit, but, but yeah, you know, no, no need to press the panic button just yet. Equally, it's too early for that. But but yeah, I, I do hope, similar to you, that there's some some work going on behind the scenes. Um, let's move on, Andy, to the radar because our radar is pretty full uh, for this game week. As always, after game week one, there's a lot of hype about certain players, and and I guess the FPL uh, transfer market is 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 pretty is you know fluctuating quite a lot. There's uh, there's been a lot of price rises already, and it isn't something that Andy and I tend to pay loads of attention to, but is something to always be be slightly aware of um but equally andy you know after game one game week there's always players that catch the eye that either um you know reaffirm off-season narratives or or, or come on to the come into thinking having had a, a very good perhaps unexpected game week in the center of our radar is ben chilwell um he i guess ultimately andy has had uh fpl pedigree we know what he can produce in terms of goals and assists and how advanced he gets but we really did see that in a potch system playing as a wing back against liverpool i think my concerns with this is that to what extent it is a liverpool specific or a trent specific system where you know we know that trent isn't a great 1v1 defender he drifts into the middle of midfield therefore that might have created some space for chilwell to exploit and maybe he won't be as high in game weeks against the flat back four but equally we do know what we're going to get from him and he did look pretty good so i think he justifies his place on the center of our radar well we had a discussion before the show didn't we about like how much can you read into any one single game week of performance or data right and um you could make an argument that, therefore, I mean that 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 no single game week can provide you enough evidence to put anyone on the centre. But then what? Like you just have no. You're gonna have to, you know, you, at some point you have to make a transfer, right? And so, look, there's people you're thinking about more solidly than others, right? And I think the the fact that Ch- that Chilwell was 5.5 million now 5.6 and was so attacking, like basically playing as a winger if in 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 arguably one of the best squads in the league if there was a, if there was an actual midfielder priced at 5.5 million playing as high and getting as many touches in the box as he was you, you'd be thinking about them so when they get potential clean sheet points like four clean sheet points as well um it it just seems like a no-brainer like that that yes liverpool were very very open and did and have no defensive midfielders and played very attacking players like th- th- that aside, Chilwell was was so high, and I suppose they might play more defensive teams going forward. But their 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 fixtures are pretty good, so you'd you'd like to think they would be hoping to impose themselves on the on the games, and and therefore Chilwell will continue to be higher up. Um, yeah, it just. It, it was a very eye-catching performance, I think, wasn't it? And so the the underlying data of being, you know, fairly good for a defender as well. Um, I think what was always we've always liked about Chilwell and to some extent James is that it's XG, not just XA you get out of them. Um, yes, very very appealing going forward potentially. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously one match XG shouldn't be uh, you know, no conclusions really should be drawn from it, but I think James did have higher 
expected goal involvement, but but it was considered to be more assists in game week one or expected assists in game week one, whereas yeah, Chilwell's was, was was more split. And then equally, he had a disallowed goal, which wouldn't be counted in terms of his underlying numbers. So had that be, had that counted, then his XGI would have been significantly higher than than, than, than Rhys James's. Um, I think also... You know, as you say, Andy, good fixtures. Uh, the, you know, the next three before the international break: West Ham away, and then Luton and Forest at home, which definitely appeal. Um, but also, as we've said at the top of the show, you know they've just signed two defensive midfielders, and they're gonna get they're gonna get stronger. You know, Caicedo is a very very good signing, and uh, you know, Lavia could be a very very good signing uh, for the money. So, yeah, you think they're gonna get a bit more secure? I was a little bit concerned about them defensively, but also they were playing Liverpool, who you know have Salah and have the ability to to create things. So. Um, so yeah, you think against some of the less creative sides, and ultimately, you know, I don't think either of us have much hope or much uh, faith in West Ham's attack or in Luton's attack, and probably not even in Nottingham Forest's attack. So you could definitely be seeing some some clean sheet opportunities in the next three game weeks, um, which which definitely helps Chilwell's appeal, but also especially with some defensive midfield reinforcements coming Chelsea's way. So so yeah, I think he justifies his his place on the radar. I think he has now risen, so five point six million you would have to pay to get Chilwell in, but I still think that's probably worth it at this point. Yeah, and um, I suppose one other thing that helps, uh, just to add a little bit of extra, like, I guess, data or uh, sample size is that, as we said in our, I don't know if we said it in our game week one, but I think we certainly said it in our FL and long weekend that we were leaning towards Chilwell because of what we'd seen in pre-season of him being the higher of the two wing backs um, and having those, yeah, more touches in and around the box and stuff. And so uh, what you saw in game week one was, supports that and was a continuation of that so it's, it's less of a of a standout but more meaningful that it happened in the league i suppose yeah absolutely uh let's move outwards on our radar andy to the mid-range and julian alvarez pops up here uh start in game week one um but also now with kevin de bruyne hobbling off injured and likely to be out for several months that does really open the door andy for julian alvarez to start consistently for city obviously he's probably not going to be and out and out forward, Haaland is going to retain that role. Um, but you know, Alvarez in kind of like a number ten, or drifting out wide, or just interchanging with City's other attacking midfielders, I think definitely appeals. Um, I guess obviously he is listed as a forward in the game compared to a Foden or a Grealish, um, or even a Bernardo Silva. So you know, going to score less points every time he scores, but. He's also cheaper than at least two of those players. Um, and yeah, at the minute, there seems to be maybe for the first time consistently in his City career, a very obvious route to regular starts. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's still in a rotation with like a Grealish and a Foden and a Bernardo and whatever, and a Kovacic arguably in a central role. But uh, he, yeah, the, the the loss of KDB and it, makes a huge huge difference because that was one of the most nailed city assets wasn't it so a significant amount of expected minutes suddenly just become available to share around even if it is shared in the rotation um so yeah and, and every time he's on the pitch he's he's dangerous right and so 6.5 mil like yeah unfortunately unlike a Foden or a Bernardo or whatever he's only going to get four points a goal if he scores them not not five and he won't be playing through the middle majority of the time you'd think anyway um so arguably a slight downside but yeah I think his upside because he because he can play in any of those like front four or five positions that increases his 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 expected minutes potential right and um 
uh, he's he's dangerous. Um, it is it obviously is there's more. It turns more into assists rather than goals when he's playing in those, you know, attacking midfield positions rather than like through the middle. But but still, like I think um, he's he's very creative. I think you described him as as almost the complete forward. He can he can kind of do a lot of different things very well. So um, yes. It, Seeing how much he plays over the next few weeks is going to be very interesting. We've we've definitely both got an eye on him. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess that you know, it can all be mitigated by City signing someone else. Obviously, they're heavily linked with Lucas Paquetá at, at West Ham. Um, and I guess if he did sign or does sign, um, then that may uh, may make Alvarez less appealing. But I think for now, um, obviously having lost having lost Mares and now having lost De Bruyne to, to injury and not really, and obviously Gundogan, but then he was replaced by Kovacic, having not really replaced sort of Mares or, or obviously De Bruyne, um, you know, I guess they've got Cole Palmer and James McAtee came off the bench as well against, um, against, against Burnley. Um, but both are still relatively unproven at the Premier League level. Um, so you'd think that, that yeah, Alvarez feels as likely to play regularly as he, as he has done in his city career and also did, did, did create underlying numbers, uh, in, in the game against Burnley. I think he had an XG of 0.72. So yeah, um, one of city's, uh, major attacking threats in, in that game. So yeah, definitely trending upwards and reasonable fixtures. Obviously Newcastle at home in the, in, in the next game is, is, is pretty tricky, but Sheffield United and Fulham after that, before the international break, definitely have some appeal. Um, moving outwards further, Andy, to the fringe of our radar, we've got four players on here. So uh, I'll let you take whichever one you want to start with. Well, I think I've got to probably start with Diaby then. Um, we were both pretty high on him in our preseason shows. We were just really sort of, the only slight worry is about seeing him continue his good form into the league and or new uh, Villa's fixtures, right? That that was another slight concern. Um, but he scored against Newcastle and uh, the that Newcastle game was the kind of away, was kind of one of the harder ones first up because it is now um, Everton and Burnley in the next two and then Liverpool away. I mean, arguably, given how open they were against Chelsea, like it might be a hard game for Villa generally, but like you could see DRB scoring in against that open Liverpool side right so actually now for, for Villa it's it's or at least for Villa's attacking assets that 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 path is like opening up quite a bit and the formation that they play he is it is a lot of the time almost a 4-4-2 when they're in attack and um he's right up there with with Watkins um getting five points a goal when he when he scores them and he he should he got obviously got a goal should have had an assist at the weekend 6.5 million I mean there's going to be a lot of people looking at that Man United performance and Bruno being two mil more than Diaby and going I'm getting a lot more attacking threat out of Diaby so yeah I I guess my only hesitation at the moment really is that like the sample size is still not massive and a lot, and obviously there's some upside in in having two free transfers next week, right? A lot of it's a, a, for new newer listeners, it's worth saying that it's a quite a common tactic if you, if it's possible at all to try and hold that transfer in game week two, so that you've got two in game week three with a bigger sample size to work with as well, um, because there's more flexibility of you can move money out of a certain position and into another one if you've got those two free transfers. So, um, yeah, I. On my personal radar, I think I'd have him even higher than the fringe. I'm very, very uh, what it's that feeling of, you know, there's that like psychological kind of I don't know whether it's a saying or experiment of like 
if you're trying to pick between two things and you toss a coin and you say heads is whatever tails is the other thing and if you toss it to make the decision and the one comes up that you don't want and you feel disappointed about it then you know which one you you know you think you can't choose between two things but then actually your reaction to the coin toss tells you whether you preferred one option or not when DRB scored at the weekend that's how I felt I like really wanted him in my team and I didn't have like I could just didn't quite have the full confidence to go with it and I was so disappointed like when he's probably the most of any of the assets available in the game and it felt frustrating that I didn't have him when I was so high on him and I, I can't think it's long till he ends up in my team probably yeah there's a, there's a, there's a, I mean I'm I'm gonna go on a bit of a segue here but there's a great bit on my favorite tv show of all time peep show where the main character Mark tosses a coin about whether he's gonna, he's gonna get married or not and it comes out as married and then he goes oh I'll do best of three then and then he flips it again and it comes out as married again and he's like oh and, and yeah in the end he doesn't get married because of his reaction to the coin famously the coin isn't the boss of him so uh so yeah I think that that that's kind of kind of, kind of sums sums it up a little bit but uh but yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I was really impressed by him. He did, I mean, I've just had a look at um, look at their Villa's average positions. And yeah, he is very advanced. John McGinn also very advanced, which isn't something that I think I saw in the game, having watched it all. But but yeah, according to average position, he, he was pretty advanced. But but yeah, um, it looks like kind of Diaby, Watkins and McGinn kind of playing up front in a 4-3-3. But uh, yeah, I definitely didn't feel that from McGinn, especially in terms of how many times he was in the box compared to Diaby. Um, so I imagine touches in the box perhaps uh, would, 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 would perhaps favour favor the former uh, former Leverkusen guy. Um, and yeah, I think uh, he, he looks a good pick. And as I said at the top of the show, not really concerned about Villa uh, despite getting their pacing. Um, I'll take... Uh, Johan Visser and James Madison, if you don't mind, Andy, just because these players played in a in the same game and one that I watched. I think, as we said, as I said, Brentford, you kind of know what you're getting. Um, they did play a back five with three debutants, so I think Brentford were able to take advantage of that. But 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 Visser obviously, um, you know has always looked lively when Tony doesn't play um, and he did it in this game as well, took his goal very nicely. Um, I think in general, impressed on the eye a little bit more than Brian and Buemo did. Um, and then James Mallison, again, more on the eye, I think, than anything. And I'd love to push him higher up on our radar, but just can't get behind Spurs after one game. Um, ultimately, Madison did look very buzzy, was on the ball a lot, really looking to create. But the front three for Spurs... Um, in Son, Kulisevsky and Richardson were pretty absent the whole game. And Madison's both two assists were for Christian Romero and Emerson Royale. You know, if he, if he was providing for Richardson or Son, great. But I don't think you can rely on him providing for defenders from a set piece and and, and, and the, you know, essentially what was a tackle that gifted Royale his, his, his goal from outside the box. So, yeah, look good on the eye, but... I guess similar to Bruno, he kind of fits into that Bruno category for me at the minute. You know, he needs to have create. He needs to have players he can create for. And it wasn't obvious that he had those at Spurs, but it's still early days. So that's why I think he justifies his place on the fringe. Um, one more player, Andy, on the fringe of our radar. And then he's a big favourite of the pod, but primarily yours. So I'll let you wax lyrical about Eddie and Kessia. Well, I mean, I don't, we've said it, if anyone listened to us last season, we said it so many times. It's, it's a travesty that he's on the bench. There's an argument he's a better out-and-out number nine than Gabriel Jesus, frankly. But let alone uh, the, the majority of 
people who start up front across the Premier League. So yeah, a travesty if he doesn't get regular game time. Um, and I don't, which it looks like he flipping well won't when Jesus came comes back because that's exactly what happened last season. But whilst he is in the team, I mean, 5.5 million for a guy who's getting chances and very good at finishing them for Arsenal in the league. Um, sounds sounds great. Obviously, they, they did have that blip last week, Arsenal, as I mentioned earlier, third least creative team in the league in game week one. But obviously, over the course of the whole of last season, lots of chances created. So, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd think or expect that that will that will um, return um, to its its previous values. Obviously, something to keep an eye on. But but if he plays just an unbelievable 5.5 is a complete steal. I suppose that is still a bit of an if. Um, he didn't start in the Community Shield, so that's why he wasn't on our radar last week. I think if he had started in that Community Shield, he probably would have been on the radar last week. Um, oh, the fringe as well, I would have, I would have thought. Yeah, quite possibly. So we, we've still got that to look out for. Obviously, um, it was a. you can see the logic, and I think you mentioned you'd seen this online, Chris, of, of the Havertz false nine in tougher games type thing and 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 it playing Eddie at home to Forest that will he continue to play in, in in all of the games particularly the harder ones we, we still don't know yet but um to me it's an absolute no-brainer just start him every week but obviously Mikel Arteta does not necessarily work like that so I guess that's definitely a con and something you kind of got to be a bit wary of at this point yeah I think so I think so I mean yeah we we, we love him when he starts but I'm just concerned that he isn't as high on in Arteta's thinking as he is in ours and I guess that that yeah therefore sort of brings him down on our radar t- to the fringe um anyone else Andy that's worth a mention maybe not quite on the radar but one that we're going to keep an eye on over the coming game weeks well yeah not quite getting himself on on the radar but like um Nick Jackson um from Chelsea obviously got on the end of a lot of chances we haven't seen enough of him yet to know whether he's a Neil Mapai or whether he's a Patrick Bamford or whether he's uh I don't know uh I suppose a Harry Kane uh in the he will eventually start scoring the goals he's supposed to or or is he is he gonna you know like many previous uh Chelsea forward before him not not deliver the goods um so that that's that's really what's hold, holding us back he 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 didn't finish decent chances he had at the weekend and that that raises some red flags doesn't it um but obviously as as we always say like it's it's, it's a good sign that he's getting on the end of them in the first place so he's getting a few more games leeway i suppose and um his finishing over the next few weeks will determine which way he falls on that front yeah absolutely i think he he, he definitely caught the eye but yeah we want to see a little bit more from him before he justifies his place on the radar all right then, Andy, let's uh, let's take a break. Let's leave it there. And then when we return, we will be swimming against the tide. Here at the FPL Lounge, we are keen to hear from you. You can join in the conversation on Twitter or Instagram at FPL underscore lounge. We will preview every game week throughout the season, exploring options for your chips and transfers. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your pods so that you have all the information you need before the game week deadline. Thanks for joining us in the FPL Lounge. Welcome back, Len. So, Andy, Swimming Against the Tide, the segment where we uh, take uh, take some of the most transferred in players or some of the most transferred out players uh, in the game so far in a game week. And we, we go against the grain. We swim against the tide. And this one felt relatively straightforward, Andy. Uh, at the time of recording... 
Alexander Izak, the most transferred in player in the game ahead of game week two. Um, this one, yeah, as I say, felt pretty easy to swim against. Uh, you know, usually when we're looking for players on the radar, we're looking for form and we're looking for fixtures uh, and we're looking for something on the eye as well. Um, and I guess we see it on the eye with Izak, but the fixtures couldn't be much worse for Newcastle. And therefore, I think, given our radar is also full of other forwards uh, that we tend to prefer at this point, this one felt a relatively easy one to swim against. Yeah, I I find it very odd because, particularly as you said, um, you know, it's at this point uh, the, the, the highest number of transfers in as well because the... You, usually if we're recording and there's like a hundred thousand transfers in and we're kind of a bit like well you know that's not huge in the grand scale of fpl and maybe it's just a few people reacting off the back of a game um you know you'd imagine some of those will have been directly when isaac was you know scoring the goals and newcastle were looking good on on saturday and because re- reactionary stuff happens and, and fine but um but for to be at this point almost four hundred thousand transfers in, like that's such a huge number. Like how can he be the most popular player? I mean, I mean, obviously yes, he looked good, and I don't know Chris in particular. You are absolutely raving about how good Isaac looks, has looked, and looked in particular on Saturday. Um, but no matter how amazing a striker like looks, when your next four fixtures are City away, Liverpool. Brighton and Brentford, that's that's about as tough as you can get as a run, right? So why, I mean, at any point in that run, it's probably not great to bring him in. But when you add in, like you said, that there's other forwards that, that are doing well, that are options, as we've discussed on the radar, and that the one, the most immediate next fixture is Man City. It's, it's a very, very strange, um, yeah, situation to be in. Yeah, I mean, yeah, as Andy said, I, I, I wax lyrical over text about Isaac uh, at the weekend. I think now Kane's left the Premier League, I think Isaac is probably the second best out-and-out number nine in the league behind Haaland. I think he is the complete forward um, and has some real upside. And I think one of the reasons why, you know, he, 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 he was in my first draft, I think, this year um, and he ends up moving away from him. Because you know, seven and a half million, and in, in the end, it probably didn't fit my my squad composition. Um, but also, the fixture run to begin the season wasn't straightforward, and and obviously, you know, Newcastle did end up blowing Aston Villa away, um, and Isaac was a big part of the reasons why. But I guess there is still question marks over expected minutes. He wasn't particularly durable last season. Callum Wilson did swap in and out with him. And then as Andy says, you know, the next three from here to, you know, if you are looking to, to bring him in um, city, Liverpool and Brighton before an international break, where then the champions league starts to become a factor and, and Newcastle are playing two, two games a week. And, and, you know, we haven't seen, in fact, at points when Newcastle did have fixture backlog towards the end of last year, Isaac wasn't playing twice a week. He was only playing once. And yes, he's had a preseason and things could be different now. But I want to see that before I'm parting with seven and a half million to bring him in up front when there are other significantly cheaper options. And I would argue that I think Julian Alvarez of the players on our radar probably does have the upside that Isaac does, if not 
if even if it's not quite, he's not far behind. But he's a million pounds cheaper. And you know, we've spoken about Eddie and Ketia, and we spoke about Jao Pedro in ahead of game week one, and even in our long weekend. You know, however much I really, really like Isaac, and I could get him in at some point this year. I'm sure there will be better Newcastle fixture runs. In fact, after Brentford in game week five, you know, it's Sheffield United, Burnley, West Ham, Palace, and, and Wolves after that. I mean, that's a nice run. But they're going to be balancing the Champions League by that point. And if there's evidence then that they are doing it successfully and it's not having a major impact on league form and Isaac's still playing and maybe Wilson becomes you know, a Champions League forward, perhaps, or or, or or Isaac is playing, you know, starting every match that Newcastle play, whether it's league or not, then then great. I'll dip my toe into the water then. But I don't think I would be wanting to dip my toe into the water now. It just doesn't feel the right time. And and yeah, as 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 we've said and I think I've said now multiple times, I think there are there are other forwards that I'd rather be getting on at this stage of the season than Isaac, however much I like him. So, yeah, for me, it is a bit of a reluctant swimming against the tide, but I think it just makes complete sense to swim against it. Um, You know, would it shock me if he scored against City? No, I guess it wouldn't, but it's nowhere near as much of a a likelihood as it would be against weaker sides. Newcastle aren't going to dominate the ball in quite the same way. Um, and, 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 yeah, so... Yeah, not something that I'm looking to get on board with now, despite how how, how much I love the player. Um, and yeah, I guess I guess also I guess the the only other thing that I would add, Andy, is is that at this point Harry Kane's had a lot of transfers out. Um, I guess those that stuck with him, despite the fact he'd left or missed the news that he'd left. So if you are getting rid of Kane, I could see a move from Kane to Isaac. But equally, if you had Harry Kane. It felt like you probably didn't have Haaland. And then Haaland's had 120,000 new owners since game week two. So, yeah, it just feels like if you are getting, you know, if, if you are late to the party and were getting rid of, of Kane, um, then, yeah, chances are you didn't have Haaland and you just go there instead. So, yeah, I even, you know, a lot of the top five transfers out are midfielders and defenders. Yeah, Isaac is the most transferred in and that doesn't really make loads of sense sense to me at this stage. No, and to make it worse, if you are considering it now, he's, he's had a price rise as well, I think, hasn't he? He's 7.6. Yeah, yeah. So um, he's actually 1.1 million more now than, say, Alvarez as a comparison that like, you were making before. So, yeah, really, really tricky. I mean, yeah, he's got the glide. He's just got that look about him, the movement in the box and sort of good feet outside the box. We saw last season a lot as well. Um, so you can see why he's attractive to you as a player. But just at this point, yeah, uh, <laughs> even even besides the Haaland thing, which obviously if you've if you're not joined the Haaland party yet, just 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 swallow your pride. Get get Erling Haaland in your team at this point. Um, but but that that aside, even it just seems you know, City away <laughs> is not the week to bring in even the most elite of forwards in an ideal world, really, is it? So yeah, happy. Uh, usually it's hard at the start of the season for us to swim against the tide, isn't it? Because we haven't got much information and the transfers are maybe a little bit more all over the place or because of an injury or something like that. But this felt like a very straightforward one. Yeah, this one popped off the screen straight away. Uh, let's move on, Andy, to captaincy. And this feels like a debate for at least the first time this season. And possibly there won't be too many captaincy debates because Haaland is going to dominate uh, the captaincy discussion, I would imagine, for, for the majority of the season, providing he stays fit. Um, but 
as we've just said, Haaland plays Newcastle, albeit at home this game week, whereas Mo Salah plays Bournemouth. Um, I'm already getting some, some some nightmarish deja vu to last year, where I think I think it was actually on my birthday, Andy. I think we were spending it together, and uh, and uh, Liverpool beat Bournemouth nine nil at home, and with both captain Salah, I believe, and uh, 18 possible attacking returns, and he didn't get a single one. Is that right, or did he get one in the end? It was my. No, he got none. Got got zero. So uh, so yeah, I mean that does. I mean, it shouldn't concern me because any logic would, would dictate that that's a completely different game and Bournemouth have a completely different manager and it's not like Salah really has bogey teams. But yeah, it's definitely in the back of my mind, even partly because it was early in the season. Um, but ultimately, Liverpool have a superior, a significantly superior fixture in this game week. Mo Salah looked good against Chelsea. He was unlucky not to score. He did get an assist. Um, obviously, Haaland looked imperious against Burnley, as he always does, but less likely to get change, I would have thought, out of um, Fabian Scherer and, and Sven Botman and maybe even Dan Byrne if they end up doing a bit of a double-up job on, on him. Um, so it does feel like a bit of a debate, and maybe this just comes down to how brave you're feeling to go against an, a player that's got 90% ownership. It, I think it does in, in that respect because there's pros and cons. It's a very, very close call potentially either way. Like the upside of Salah uh, in terms of ownership at the moment, he's so sort of low owned compared to previous years. If you were to captain him and he's only owned by 33% of people, as is the case now, you're making huge gains on any returns he gets. But but equally, on the other hand, if you captain him and he blanks and Haaland returns and Haaland's effective ownership is like way over 100 uh, percent, then a big pain for you and your and your rank. Not that rank means that much at this stage in time, but it's just big amounts of points against you that that will obviously count up over the course of the season. So um, it, 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 we we often say we try to give the pros and cons, but I'm finding it difficult to to. I think it is a debate and I don't really know how best to like state the different the different like reasons here I suppose it's the in terms of on paper the fixture is is much easier for Salah and for Liverpool but they are a team in a bit of disarray still and they've been rejected by their second successive defensive midfielder in a week to Chelsea. So you think it's possible slash likely that they might go with the same 11, which was having McAllister as their single pivot, which seems absolutely bonkers. Um, so there were times in Chelsea it worked. Yeah, I mean, a Chelsea team in a little bit of uncertainty and disarray as well. But yeah, sure. Um, was mostly first half, Chelsea seemed to sort of get their act together in the second it felt but yeah there were times where it felt like it was working um and 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 you know back in back in the day Klopp's kind of best form of defense was was attack right and so it didn't feel like a didn't feel like a crazy um sort of line up but I guess they always had that Fabinho security that is just no longer there and as you say Alexis McAllister does not provide anywhere near that same level of security so yeah it's 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 much more tricky yeah and and City are more reliable and they're at home as well so it's not like Liverpool have the advantage of being at home over City um in this game week um so obviously a much tougher fixture against Newcastle but then actually have new were Newcastle weren't exactly brilliant defensively in that opening game, despite winning like five one. So um, 
you can definitely see obviously City creating chances. Haaland's had, you know, they're not playing in millions of competitions at the moment. So he's had a full week's rest. He'll be raring to go. He's obviously a reliable captain. Um, you could do worse than just perma-captaining Haaland all season, frankly, because he can just bang in any given game. Um, but so so maybe that's the best way to describe it in that the, the risk is lower with City, but arguably the ceiling is higher. I mean, Haaland could score a hat-trick against Newcastle, so I don't think we're saying that Haaland's got a lower ceiling than Salah full stop, but just, I suppose... Who's more well? This will be available in the in the odds and stuff, right? Like, who's more likely to score two or more goals this game week? Surely Salah, right? So um, the probability of a haul is is I guess higher for Salah rather than, the, but the probability of a, a single return is maybe more reliable for someone like a Haaland. Yeah, more extra point of goal as well, I guess, for Salah maybe makes a bit of a difference if you are. You know, looking for two or more, which I guess, which I guess you are, um, and therefore, yeah, could end up with more bonus points as well. We're going to get more touches, maybe more likely to assist. So, so yeah, it is a bit of a tricky one. I mean, I guess the, I don't think there's probably much more that we can say on this, Andy. But there was, um, there was some tweets I think before game week one, or maybe even at the start of the season, where managers are putting their their squads together, and they were looking, um, you know, they were looking at kind of weighing up whether most salaries worth the money given Haaland's a, a given in, in in many teams and I think there were I saw many tweets that were along the lines of if you're not planning on captaining in captaining salary game week two is he worth it I mean what do you kind of say to that I mean I can see an argument on that front yeah because it's a lot of money to be investing in your team in someone that you're not willing to captain in one of their easiest fixtures on paper right I mean I think you kind of uh, said it last last year if you've got a premium player you've almost got to be willing to captain them week in week out and like Harlan's kind of bucked that trend a little bit because you're going to have another premium well you don't have to have another premium instead of him but you know if you do then he can become a perma captain right so yeah I mean look if this was if this was Harlan like away against a very good defensive team, maybe you're having a different conversation, right? Because you're not comparing Salah at home to Bournemouth against something like significantly harder. I suppose arguably it is significantly harder, but not like I'd say impossible it's for harder. harder. I guess yeah. it's just, it's, it's the home fixture, maybe tempers it a little bit perhaps, but, but, but yeah, I mean, yeah, Liverpool do, in my view, Liverpool do have the significantly more straightforward fixture here. Yeah, 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 sure. But oh, I guess what I'm saying is that it's not like Haaland's fixture is so difficult. It feels really problematic for returns for him this week, you know. Yeah. Um. So then it's then it's like more so owning Salah is more about like, do I think his value is like worth the, the place in my team for the returns? Because and, and and it kind of played out a little bit against Chelsea in that he uh he he felt like the most nailed on starter of that front group for Chelsea and he got a return like they're all equally or not equally because Salah's on pens as well but they've all got very good chances of returns if they start any of that Liverpool front five or six right and who's the most likely to start well it's Salah so therefore that's why it's kind of almost worth the extra spend for me because it's a team that does score goals and he's the most likely player uh, to score goals in that team and he's on pens so 
I mean, I'm arguing with myself from last season, frankly, like you said, almost right, because because uh, I think you you have to be consi- at least considering them. But in that consideration, this week is seems to me like a reasonable like argument that Haaland could be in for returns as well. So, um, yeah, that that's the that's the almost the justification, I guess. Difficult, difficult. You can definitely see a last minute decision, I guess, can't you? And uh, and yeah, that uh, that scares scares me somewhat. Um, I mean, yeah, I guess, uh, I guess who's, who's captain your bus team so far, Andy? I'm guessing it's guessing it's Harlands because you just kept it the same as last week. Probably, yeah. It's probably just I haven't done anything with it yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah Harlands. I mean, is, I could be. I think, I think I could be tempted because, like, it, early in the season, right? And worst, obviously, worst case scenario is you drop twenty points. Let's yeah. say that would be really yeah. bad, right? But you, you know that's the, the the upside here it's it is a good a good opportunity for for gaining um yeah. i guess as you say if, you, if right. you drop it now you can make it back whereas it's it not wasn't quite the same in sort of game week 32 last year so so yeah Again, predicting ourselves though about playing it safe at the start of the season so oh, yeah, yeah if I you mean, follow that mantra then i guess it's captain harland right it is but i guess that's perhaps i don't know that always felt more about team you picked rather than necessarily your captain decision maybe that maybe that is the place where early in the season you could go a bit rogue but yeah I yeah true we'll... because it's not like if you gamble on a player and then they flop then you're costing yourself either transfers or hits to get them out right whereas here you're still confident in both of them as assets going forward it's just a one-off yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of gamble isn't it so yeah i guess that that is a is a different thing yeah Absolutely. All right. Well, let's leave it there, Andy, and let's finish as we always do with a little game we like to call Who the Heck is Stat? Each week, Andy and I take it in turns to pick a player from the FPL universe, and the other person has to guess who it is. If they uh, they get two minutes, no, we get five clues. There we go. We get five clues, and if they guess it after the first clue, they get five points. After the second clue, they get four points, and so on and so forth. Each time they hear a new clue, they have two minutes to stick or twist on their previous guess. So we don't reveal the answer to the end, so you can play along wherever you are listening to the FPL lounge. Uh, Andy started his uh, his his yeah his title defence for uh, his third title defence uh, with a three pointer last week, despite him complaining about how difficult the clues were. Still plucked the three pointer out of his backside uh, so yeah it's uh, it's his turn to pick a player for me to see if I can get off the board or to, or if I don't get three points if I can ever catch up again let's see well, I mean when you just to just to you know redress the balance and 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 correct the books when you say complain about yeah. the, the clues like yeah. um I, I you, well, as listeners will know, if they listened to, to the to the to the show last week, you kind of agreed with what I was get, struggling with. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, right. Yeah. So you just the way you said it, may was made it like I was being unreasonable or something, right? Yeah, no, but so, that's, that's, you know, that's just the uh, that's just the uh, you know, I've needled you, haven't I? Got in there. Well, yeah, because it was unjust. <laughs> unjust. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, go on. Let's, let's, let's do this then. Are you ready, Christopher? I am ready. Okay, <laughs> here we are then with clue number one. It is this player's second season in FPL and they are on for their highest ever finish. <sighs> okay. Um, I mean, on for their highest ever finish is, is, is the most, one of the most stupid clues we've ever had, I think, in this game, given it's game week one. But I will, or I is will it? go... No, well, it is, it is. 
Uh, I mean, obviously there are players that can't that it can't be, but obviously they've returned in. Well, I'd hope they've returned in game week one. I mean, the instant the obvious place to go, the instantly obvious place to go is Erling Haaland because I think it would be difficult for. I think it will be difficult for us to think of clues for him for the rest of the season that aren't obvious. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where my mind goes straight away. Um, anyone else that maybe got a double-digit return? I mean, the other player that maybe comes to mind with, whose second season it is would be Varane, perhaps, because obviously he got a clean sheet and a goal, and I think it would be his second season. Um, trying to think who else returned Forrest. I can't remember who scored their goal in one year. It could be his. It is his second season. Will he be 5% owned? Not sure. Sheffield United didn't score, so unlikely to be them. Fulham, De Cordova Reed, that's not his second season. Not 30 sure seconds. Wissa might be his second. Liverpool's returning with Salah and Dill. It could be Diaz. I'm going to go with Haaland, I think, just to get the get the clue out of the way. Um, yeah, please. I'll, just, I'll stick with Haaland. Thank you. OK, clue number two. This player played 80% of their possible minutes in their first FPL season. 80%? You've done the maths on that, haven't you? OK. Um, let's go through the teams again then. So, I want to, that, didn't, that feels too high, 80%. Um, Brentford, if it was Whistler's second season, he wouldn't have played 80% of his minutes. Luis Diaz wouldn't have played 80% of his minutes. Uh, Bournemouth, did anyone go for Bournemouth? Can't remember. Someone must have scored it. would have been Solanke, not his second season. Wolves had no returns. Brighton would have had Matoma, March, Joel Pedro. Don't think for them, going back to Varane, it feels difficult for me to think that he's over 5% owned, though. I guess he could be. Um, trying to think if anyone who got returns for City that, that weren't, wasn't Erling Haaland. Rodri, not his second year. Not sure who else scored. Uh, Newcastle had Isaac would be his second, but he wouldn't have played over 80% of the minutes. I feel like I might be sticking with Mr. Harland here. 80% of the minutes feels about okay, I think, given the amount of games he missed and rarely being subbed. 30 seconds. Um, I can't remember who got Arsenal's first goal at the weekend. Um, let's just let's stick, please, Andy. I'll stick with stick with Erling Harland for now. Sticking. Okay. Please. Clue number three then. This player was the second biggest XG overperformer last season, but the biggest XGI overperformer. Um, there's nothing in there that makes me makes me want to get off Harlan. Second biggest XG overperformer and big. I mean, he did get a few assists, and I can't imagine they would have been from high XA opportunities. So that may have bumped him. Bumped him up a bit. Who else didn't I go through in terms of who's? I can't remember who scored Chelsea's goal, even though I watched the game. 
Um, and yeah, I I'm struggling that there's any reason for me to get off off Harland. I wonder if Matoma wouldn't have played 80% of the minutes. Yeah, I'm going to stick. <laughs> I'm at this point now where I think I might stick. You've still got a minute. I know, yeah. Uh, okay, so the other one that I was thinking of, of would be Rafa Varane that might have played 8% of the minutes. He wouldn't have been an XG overperformer or an XA overperformer. Um, I guess where I'm getting up perhaps a bit unstuck is thinking about who might have got assists and therefore returns. Um, but I, I guess I, I'm not going to know that. Well, I should perhaps know it, but um, yeah, I can't think who got many assists. 30 seconds. James Madison wouldn't have been his second season. I'm going to stick, mate, I think. Okay. I'm going to stick. stick in. Yes, please. Sure. Yeah, yep. sure. Yeah. Okay. Clue number four, then. This player is the highest owned player at his club. <laughs> um, well, that would be Haaland. Because he's the highest owned player in the game. Um, so Forrest would have... Who would be their highest owned player? Might be a one of you, might be Gibbs White. Don't know if they've got any players that would fit the bill for this game. Uh, Brentford's would probably be Rico Henry. Might be Buemo. Don't don't know. Don't think any of Liverpool's high-owned players would be in their second season. Brighton's would be Matoma, I would guess. Oh, no, it wouldn't be Esther Pinyan. Highest XG over before. No, it can't be. United's would be Bruno Rashford. It's not their second season. Spurs is probably Madison or Doji. Or could still be Kane, to be honest. Um, Arsenal's would be Saka, not his second season. Chelsea's would probably be Chilwell, not his second season. I'm, I'm, I think I'm gonna stick. I think I'm gonna stick. Okay. Yeah, sure I'm gonna got... stick, please. Yeah. Okay. Final clue then. This player is the highest owned player in his position. Who the heck is Stat? So the highest owned goalkeeper is Anana, not his second season, and wouldn't be an XG over performer. Highest owned defender is. Esther Pinyan, as far as I'm aware, still. And he is in his second season, but I can't believe he'd be the highest XG over performer. Or assist over performer. And he, well, he, might have played, he wouldn't have played 80% of, of minutes, or, or would he? What was your third clue? Sorry, Andy. Uh, the second biggest XG over performer, but the biggest XGI over performer. Oh, that was the third clue. What was the second clue then? Uh, 80%, 80% of possible minutes. minutes. Oh, okay. Highest zone player. Okay. I guess it could be Esther Pinyan. Um, Highest zone midfielder, I think, is Saka, if it's not Rashford. And neither of those are are in their second season. And then the highest zone forward is Haaland. 
Esther Pinyan gives me some fear. He would be the highest owned player at his club, and he would be the highest owned player in his position. It is his second season. I just can't see him playing 80% of the minutes or being an XG or XGI overperformer to that extent. 30 seconds. So I'm going to have to stick with Haaland, mate, please. Are you sure? I am sure, yes. Okay, well, that's your answer then. Yes, sticking please. With, stuck, sticking with Erling Haaland. Yes, please. And, I mean, it's it's good, really, that in the fourth season of the FPL Lounge, the fourth full proper season, that we finally have a competition on our hands for who the heck is that. Because... Five points goes to Chris Hopkins to start the year off. A big five-pointer, Erling Haaland. And I did think when I was putting this together that it could go that way, right? Because obviously as the clues come in, there's a very limited pool. Yeah, but I did yeah. wonder whether there might be, in particular Matoma, I thought might be one that would that would have uh, yeah, come across, come across your mind. And particularly with that third clue, where I was essentially trying to get across the point that their assists were... Mm. Overperformance on assists was 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 as higher than their overperformance on on goals. Yeah, uh, but but I can completely see as you were going through why you you wouldn't move off uh, for the for the sake of the of the gamble and actually for the exact reason that you said the very first thing that you said in that I didn't know when to get another opportunity to uh, introduce. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm glad the psychology kind of paid off a little bit but. you full-on got into the psychology of it there because that's almost yeah exactly why i went for him because there's not many chances to so yeah we're on here that's we go stuff. here we go here we go yeah uh yeah i mean to be fair i think you put together a a, a, a great set of clues there so well congratulations um because yeah it's hard for him without it making it incredibly obvious um but yeah, what was the first one? It was the second, and on for his highest ever finish. Yeah, I mean that that's a cheeky clue, and I like it. But yeah, it, um... I mean the point. The point, obviously, I know that, that doesn't help in terms of you don't know what their finishes have been before. But the, essentially, the point of that is supposed to be like he returned this game. This yeah, player returned yeah, yeah. in this in this past game week, which is about as much of a clue you can get after one game week, right? Yeah, no, this, completely. This season. Completely. Yeah, I think it was it was it was helpful that I had watched probably more Premier League football than I've ever watched in a single weekend. Uh, but yeah, I mean they were probably more get more live games than, than normal. But but yeah, that's uh, great stuff. All right, well we're off to, but we're both off to a good start ultimately. And that's 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 important. Quite buoyant after that. That's quite nice. Um, I'm sure you do even complimenting my clues. I mean it's all well and good. I'm sure you think I've got good clues after you get five points out of them. Yeah. Let's uh, let's leave it there, Andy. If our loyal listeners have any questions about what to do in game week two, how can they get into? Well, they can find us on Twitter or Instagram at fpl underscore lounge. Um, and yeah, because of both of us being a little bit more free over the weekend, I suppose there were a few tweets. Uh, and yeah, if you have any opinions on the things we threw out, it'd be great to hear off you. Um, I can imagine for the listener, it might be quite confusing some of the time because we're disagreeing with each other through the same Twitter account. So that was my uh, fault. I should have replied to you on mine. That was that was my fault. I, oh, I knew. No, I'd well, I knew. I'd, I knew I'd done it straight away. Uh, was it? I didn't. I thought it was deliberate, to be honest, and like. It's just one of those things, isn't it? But anyway, I'm sure I'm sure regular listeners can work out who was who anyway. So because we're just both that predictable. So um, yeah, but it, do let do let us know. I mean, um, Chris might not be uh, or be neither of us might not be as free to 
uh, express our thoughts as often as we as we'd have liked to. But um, well, you know, uh, it'd be interesting to hear what others think as well, because often you know Chris and I do disagree. Um, so um, we show us show us your support. Are you Team Chris or Team Andy? I think everyone is uh, famously hashtag Team Chris. Uh, do also remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, yeah, it's always very useful, and make sure that this podcast is in your feed ahead of every game week preview. We will be back next week uh, ahead of game week three, where there is another Friday deadline. So we'll try and record on Wednesday and get it uploaded in time for Thursday to give you pr- plenty of time to listen to it before the deadline. But Andy, until then. Thanks for joining us in the FPL Lounge.